0: Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Support for this show is brought to you by Tarcher Peregrine, publisher of Life Lessons, the new book of affirmations by Julia Cameron, the best-selling author of The Artist's Way. Buy Life Lessons wherever books are sold.
1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is the author of Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home, all New York Times bestsellers. Her newest book is called The Four Tendencies, the indispensable personality profiles that reveal how to make your life better and other people's lives better too. Wait, I've got to catch my breath. That is one long (laughs) title.
2: (laughs) I love long subtitles. (laughs) I guess so.
1: I mean, the book must be very large just to hold the cover, just to hold the title on the cover. An interview with Gretchen appears in the September-October issue of Spirituality Health Magazine. She was interviewed by our producer, Al Matassi. So, Gretchen Rubin, welcome to Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you. I'm very happy to be talking to you.
1: So, I'm very happy to talk to you. I... Am fascinated by the four tendencies, your personality profile um, system, and let's so let's start with that because if people aren't going to be familiar. I'm, I imagine many of our listeners aren't familiar with uh, the four tendencies themselves. So why don't we just why don't you just run through those briefly for us?
2: Absolutely. So there are upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels, um, and I argue that. Just about everybody falls into one of these tendencies. And it has to do with how you respond to expectations. And we all face outer expectations, which are things like a work deadline or a request from a friend, and inner expectations, our own desire to keep a New Year's resolution or to get back into playing guitar. So. Upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. Uh, Other people's expectations of them are important, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they don't like anything arbitrary or unjustified or inefficient or irrational. Um, They make everything an inner expectation. So if it meets their inner standard, if they think it makes sense, they will meet that expectation. If they feel that it does not meet their standard for being justified, they will resist. Then obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, you know, I know I would be happier if I exercised. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? So I would say, well, she's an obliger. When she had a team and a coach waiting for her outer accountability, she had no trouble. But when she just has her own inner expectation that she go running, she struggles. Then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. And most people can tell what they are and also like people around them are just from this brief description. But there is an online quiz at happiercast.com slash quiz for anyone who wants to take a quiz and sort of get an answer spit out. But most people kind of know what they are from even a very brief description.
1: So that's one way to get to, you can also get to the assessment questionnaire through, I think your personal website, right? Gretchenrubin.com. I think that's how I found it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You can get it from Gretchenrubin.com. Yeah. Yeah. Just look look for the quiz and it's, it's all over the place. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, I took it. Good. All right. So I am
2: interesting.
1: Are you ready? Drum roll! I am a rebel.
2: Ooh! Now you so, know that's the smallest tendency. So one, it's <laughs> there are not many, not many rebels. Were you? What do you think of that? Did it ring true?
1: Oh, absolutely! I mm-hmm. I, uh, I went back to your book better than before. where you have a whole section on each of these tendencies, and I looked up the rebel there, and uh, it it absolutely described me to a T.
2: Oh, interest! So, Excellent. Well, I'm so glad to hear that.
1: So I wanted to ask you not, I mean, I'd love to spend the whole time just having you tell me about me, that would be great, but (laughs) that isn't really why we're here. So let's hold that off for a little bit. How how did you come up with this uh, system?
2: Well, you know, I was grasping to understand these big patterns that I was seeing. So this came up, as you mentioned, I write about it in my book, Better Than Before, which is my book about habit change, how we can make or break our habits. And as I was doing that, I was looking for patterns and why people could make or break their habits because sometimes habits kind of form effortlessly. Sometimes it's very hard to get them to stick. Sometimes they seem to vanish abruptly. Sometimes people like my friend, Seem to be ha- have habits successfully in some situations, but not in others. And I was trying, and I would hear people say things like, Well, I would never keep a New Year's resolution because January 1st is an arbitrary date, or I can always take time for other people, but I can never take time for myself. Things like this. Like, I kept hearing these things that I was like, These are patterns. I'm hearing the same thing over and over again. How do I make sense of it? And there was just sort of like a lot of stuff floating around in my head. And you know, I was sort of melting my brain. I was thinking so hard to try to make sense of it and then one day I kind of found the key which is this idea of expectations because the minute that I saw that expectations was the the core issue and I saw that there's a difference between outer expectations and inner expectations then everything fell into place and I have to say it was one of the most thrilling moments of my life because I could just feel everything locked together everything getting pulled in everything that didn't make sense or couldn't I couldn't um uh, synthesize. And then when I came up with my final form, it sort of had the elegance of nature. You know, it's, it's four, it can't be three. It can't be five. Everything is accounted for. Um, It sort of has this perfection of the natural order. And I mean, um, it's sort
1: of, I I, I just want to jump in here for a second. I mean, it's, it's very interesting how you, how you came upon this because it's not yep. your background. I mean, you had a law background. You were clerking for uh, Supreme court justice Sandra Day O'Connor and now you're doing this but you don't have a psych background you sort of came up with this through i I mean i'm putting words in your mouth but but it sounds to me that you came up with this through just life experience
2: yeah i'm kind of a street scientist you know and i'm probably more like these old moral essayists you know like samuel johnson or Montaigne or uh, william hazlett people like that where they really are talking my, my subject is human nature that's what i really write about um this is my eighth book. Um, and and I, you're right. I, I'm not doing research in a laboratory with a bunch of undergraduates. Um, you know, I'm not running, you know, I'm not t- taking blood samples from people. I'm really just trying to say, like, looking at what we can see, what, you know, what people around me are saying, what I see in literature, in memoirs, in biography, what are these big patterns? The funny thing about the four tendencies and the thing that's really surprising to me is how blatant they are. Once you see them, it's totally obvious what a lot. Of, I mean, in, in, a, in seconds, people will say things where I'm like, oh, that's a tip off. That's a tip off. Or, oh, I'm watching the television show Parks and Recreation and all the tendencies are on display. I'm kind of amazed I'm the first person to pick this up because. And there, there are other models that kind of get at kind of close ideas. But once it's identified, it's really obvious. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a subtle thing that I've picked up. Um, But you're right. I'm like a street scientist. So I I use a lot of anecdata. You know, people will tell me, well, this is my experience when I was trying to quit sugar. And I'm trying to make sense of that. Um, How does that fit into a model of human nature?
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating way way to do it. I I like the the idea of the, the street scientist. So what is your tendency?
2: I'm an upholder. Um, so you and I are the extremes. Um, and those are the smallest tendencies. So rebel is a very small tendency. It's conspicuous, but it's small. But then upholder is only slightly larger. And I have to say, many things in my life became much clearer to me when I realized that I'm an upholder, you know, that there are that upholders exist, and that not that many people are upholders. It's pretty rare.
1: Yeah. Uh, tell me what Donald Trump is.
2: He is a <laughs> rebel. Oh, he's a rebel! Absolutely, oh,
1: and yep. I'm not present. How did that happen? Mm. All right, so he and I are somehow cousins. Did when you when you looked at your system when you put your system together, uh, I assume you're you're um, up on things like Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Do you see how they your your tendencies work with these other systems? or you're really that's not something you're interested in
2: you know, I love personality frameworks, every kind of five factor test and, mm-hmm. you know, disc and all of them. And, um, and I think they all have their strengths. They all have their nuance. And so I think like, let every framework have its own vocabulary, have its own perspective and kind of shine its own spotlight on human nature. And I think that you sort of lose that um, specificity if you try to map them on to each other too much. So uh, you know, I have a friend who knows a lot about Mars briggs and he tried to kind of do a, like, you know, this equals that. And I'm like, you know what, just let let that system be its own system. And I'm in it. And, and, and the four tendencies is going to be its tendencies. It's funny, even people, um, several people have suggested to me that it maps onto the houses of Hogwarts. And I will tell you, as they um, as a Harry Potter fanatic. That absolutely does not work. Um, so, no, it does not. It does not work with the Houses of Hogwarts. And I really think um, that every framework <laughs> should stand on its own.
1: <laughs> okay. So as long as rebels aren't from Slytherin, then I'm, no, I'm, I'm no, all right. No, no,
2: no, they're not. <clears> you know, like, you know, Hermione's in Gryffindor. She's probably the most famous upholder in our culture right now. But Fred and George Weasley also in Gryffindor and they are not upholders. So, you know, you, you it go. doesn't doesn't map.
1: <laughs> doesn't map. So how does it help? Um, so so I know, because you just told us that you're an upholder, yep. uh, you know that I'm a rebel. So um, if you had known that I was a rebel in advance or maybe just now after I told you, how how do you interact with me differently than you might otherwise if you didn't know that?
2: I would interact with you very differently. Um, and I work with rebels and, and so let's say, um, there was something I wanted to ask you to do. We were working together. I would always want to emphasize, this is for you to decide what you want to do. This is your choice. It's up to you. Um, I'm not telling you what to do. Um, I might give you information about the concept, you know, to give you information so you can make an informed decision and tell you the consequences of what you do and don't do. You know, I would really like to have this. It would really help me out to have this by Friday. If I have if I have your report by Friday, then we can hand in the whole thing on time. If it's late, we might have to pay a penalty. Um, When you're ready, let me know. I'm not going to say, hey, you have to get that to me on time because I don't want to ignite the spirit of resistance that for some rebels is very easy to set off, which is when they're going to say, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing in my own way. I'm going to always emphasize the choice, the freedom, the authenticity of you making the choice that you want to make for yourself.
1: Yeah. You also said, if I remember right, that even as a rebel, even I'm not the boss of me.
0: at eomega.org slash thrive.
2: Well, typically rebels don't like to do things like sign up for a woodworking class at 10 a.m. every Saturday because they're like, I don't I don't know what I'm gonna feel like doing that Saturday morning. I don't like the feeling that somebody's expecting me to show up at 10 a.m. Uh, the fact that it's on my calendar makes me not want to go, you know? And so like often rebels do better when they do things spontaneously. Like I've heard from many rebels who keep the the schedules of many different gyms and many different classes around. And then they're like, you know what? I feel like doing yoga. And then they'll just look up and see, well, where's a yoga class that I could go to right now? And then they'll go there. Or they might belong to a big gym where there's tons of choices and they could just pick and choose what they want. Whereas for me, like I go every Friday at 10 a.m., I go to a high intensity strength training thing and it's every Friday and they expect me and I'm working with a trainer who's going to email me if I don't show up. I like that. Um, a rebel might really resist that. Now, some rebels like that. They get their mind around it in a rebel way, um, but it can be more of a challenge for them to buy into something like that.
1: So does every, does everyone have a bit of all four or are you really sort of one more or less exclusively?
2: Well, I think that each of us has a core tendency that is sort of our instinctive reaction to the world. Now, it is true that everybody is a little bit of one in that, you know, everyone is going to give up their inner expectation for the benefit of someone else if the stakes are high enough. Like, yeah, I want to go for a run every day, but if my daughter's in the hospital, okay, I will skip my run. Everybody's like a questioner in that nobody wants to do something totally arbitrary or inefficient. Nobody wants to do something that's completely dumb. So in a way, we're like questioners in that way. In a way, we're like rebels. In that, if if we feel too controlled, if we feel like someone's threatening our autonomy, we're going to push back. You know, in in reactance. So each of us has like an element of that at a certain point. But the tendencies are really like, what's your instinct when you're going through the world? If the teacher is standing up in front of the classroom and is saying, "Hey, you need to write a 500 word 500 word book report," are you thinking, "Okay," are you thinking, "Why should I?" Are you thinking you can't tell me what to do? You know, what's kind of your first impulse as an expectations coming to you? That's what the tendency tells you.
1: Yeah, I think it's important that, that. what makes this really interesting to me is you focus on this one thing, this your response to these expectations.
0: Mm-hmm. And, I, and
1: I think that's very helpful just to think about. I mean, I don't know if I've ever really just sat down and thought about, you know how i deal with that and that was that was very eye opening on a larger scale i mean you've written you know the, the happiness project and a happy being happy or happier at home how how does i i want you to define happiness for us but then i want if you can talk about how knowing your tendency can help you be happier
2: well, I never do define happiness. You know, I started my career in law, and I spent an entire semester arguing about the definition of contract. And if anything, you know, happiness is even more elusive to define. There's something like 15 academic definitions of happiness. And I think for the layperson, it's not really constructive to be like, is it peace, satisfaction, well-being, contentment, joy, bliss? It's like whatever you want it to be. It's a big, it's loose enough that we can all have our own conception of happiness. And what's important to me is what's going to make you happier? You know, what's going to move you in the right direction? Since it's not about defining kind of the finish line, you know, can you be, because we all might disagree about the definition of happiness, but if you're like, well, is this going to make you happier? Probably we would, that would be clearer for us to understand for ourselves. Now, how the tendencies can make us happier is, you know, there's two things where it can come into play. One is self-management because, you know, the, the person that you have to deal with most in the world is yourself. And, you know, we've all felt frustration when it's like, I know I would be happier if I went to bed on time. I know I would be happier if I quit sugar. I know I would be happier if I spoke more nicely to my children. I know I would be happier if I put down devices. I know I would be happier if I read more. So why don't I? And then the four, so the four tendencies gives you a lot of clues about, well, maybe situations are being set up in a way that are not helping you. Maybe you're an obliger who needs outer accountability to meet an inner expectation. That is a fact for obligers. If an obliger wants to meet an inner expectation, there must be a system of outer accountability in place. That's completely straightforward. It's very easy to do once you realize that that's the missing piece. But if you do things like spend a lot of time thinking about your priorities and trying to put yourself first and make time for yourself, that's not going to work. You know, it's just like, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just in my experience and my observation, it's not going to be very effective. And same thing with a rebel, you know, you're trying to get yourself to exercise. Well, if people keep telling you, put it on your calendar, put it on your calendar, but you tremendously value spontaneity, that's not the, That's not effective for you. So if you want to get command of yourself, understanding your tendency is going to just allow you, it's going to shine a spotlight on maybe some patterns that have been hidden from you in the past. You didn't understand patterns of when you succeeded and when you failed, and now this is going to help. The other thing we want to do is we want to deal with other people. And so this is going to help you deal with other people. Just like I'm an upholder and you're a rebel. So we're going to see the world in very different ways. And when we understand it's not that I'm right and you're wrong or that I'm wrong and you're right. It's just that we have different perspectives. So how do we work that out in a way to be effective? This is just a tool that we can use to, you know, get patients to take their medication, to get, you know, uh, PhD students to write their theses, to get children to you know, turn in their homework to get, you know, spouses to stop fighting. Um, it's a tool for understanding other people better.
1: So I think you, you used the term and I, I imagine you created this, but if not, it's a cool term regardless. Uh, anecdata. Oh is that, yeah. Is yeah. that right? So I'd like, I like that, that term. So looking through, you know, recalling what anecdata you can recall at the moment Mm -hmm. Because you don't, you don't do counseling and people don't come Mm -hmm. to you like they do to a therapist. So you're just sort of sharing these ideas. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So I have, I have, because I have a blog and I have a podcast, happier with Gretchen Rubin, where I have a lot of listeners. I'm getting a lot of feedback from people, but you're right. It's not like in a clinical setting. It's just like people writing me an email, like, oh, my husband's driving me crazy. What do you think I should do? You know what I mean? Right.
1: Well, that's my, that's my question. So, so I, I like this anecdote. I think it's, it's in a sense more real. and. Not to put down the other way of doing things, but I guess, like this, it's like you said, street science. Um, so using your anecdata, where have have couples found this, or parents and their kids? How have they used this to reduce stress, to improve communication?
2: Well, you know, a lot of times it's just when you understand where someone's coming from, you can avoid conflict. So, I will just use myself as an example. So I'm an upholder, which means I readily meet outer and inner expectations. And I'm married to a questioner. So he readily meets inner expectation, but he resists outer expectations if he doesn't know why he should meet them. And this drove me crazy, I have to say, for the first years of our marriage, because I would ask him to do something and he would sort of like, not just do it. If he asked me to do something like, would you find the mortgage papers? I'd be like, okay, I'll go do it. And I was like, why does he always just Resist! It was making me crazy. But then when I realized he was a questioner, it's like, it's not that there's any, it's not this way he's behaving toward me. It doesn't reflect anything about our relationship. It's He's like this all the time. This is a fundamental part of his nature. He's like this all the time. And I can take that into account. And I remember just the silliest examples. Like once, um, I wanted him to pick up sliced turkey on his way home from the gym, but I happen to know that my husband doesn't like to do this first questioners often hate to wait in line. So he doesn't like to wait in line at the grocery store. And, and he would be like, if I said, if I texted him, please pick up sliced turkey on your way home, he would think, why should I, why do we need sliced turkey? We have plenty of food at home. And why should I have to wait in line for something? He just wouldn't do it because it's like, well, why should I? But now I know to say something like, please pick up sliced turkey on your way home because our daughter has... Field, two field trips this week, so we have to pack lunch because she's not eating in the cafeteria. Okay, that's a reason. So instead of having an, an exchange where I'm annoyed by, I'm like, well, why didn't you go to the grocery store? Well, why should I? Oh, you never do what I ask, blah, 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 blah. It's like I just say to him, this is why. And just the other day, I was filling out a boring bureaucratic form and feeling like, oh, I was doing it for the team because one of us had to fill it out and it asked for his work address. I didn't know his work address. So I called him up and I said, what's your work address? Now, what possible reason would I be asking him for his work address, except that I'm filling out some kind of boring bureaucratic form? But I said, what is your work address? And what did he say to me? Why? (laughs) Like, and I would have been very irate, like, why? You know, if you want to, I'm the one who's doing this. If you want to do it yourself, I'll send it to you. You have to do it, blah, 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 blah. Instead, I'm just like, he just wants to know why. I'm like, I'm filling out a boring bureaucratic form. Okay. So he told me was addressed. So it just diminishes conflict because I'm like, I don't need that. Just his asking me is enough for me. I don't care. I'm like, I don't want to hear an explanation. Life's too short. He needs the explanation. He needs the explanation. So so it it, it just minimizes conflict.
1: Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And it it sounds to me that if you were not an upholder, you would have divorced him right away (laughs) because you wouldn't have known. But you're an upholder. You have to hold the obligation. So. You know? Well, it's
2: very but see, on the other hand, it's very helpful for me to be married to a questioner and I realize the value of it because one of the dangers of being an upholder is you too readily meet expectations. We're very good at meeting expectations. Like we can just do it without thinking. And sometimes that's a big waste of time and energy. So often I've learned to sit before I meet an expectation, if I'm have any kind of like second thought about it, I say to myself, well, let me ask Jamie if he thinks I should do this. Or I'll think, What would Jamie say? Because it helps me. To stay more on track with my own values by saying, yeah, I, you know, someone's asked me to do this, but I I don't have to do this um, because I can question it. And say, so, like, yeah, no, that really doesn't make sense for me. So it, so it's a, it's a, it kind of annoys me, but it also makes my life better.
1: You know, this absolutely makes sense to me and I have a million more questions, but we are out of time, but this was, this was really interesting, uh, Gretchen. So thank you very much for talking with us.
2: Thank you, it was so much fun to talk to you.
1: Our guest today was Gretchen Rubin, whose newest book, The Four Tendencies, the indispensable personality profiles that reveal how to make your life better and other people's lives better too, is due to be released on September 12th. Al Matassi, our executive producer, interviews Gretchen in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about Gretchen's work at her website and take the four tendencies assessment. Her website is gretchenrubin.com. Gretchen, again, this was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Support for Essential Conversations is brought to you by Tarcher Perigree, publisher of Life Lessons, the new book of affirmations by Julia Cameron, best-selling author of The Artist's Way. You can buy Life Lessons wherever books are sold. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.